since I retired from the church I pastored in Chicago. I have intentionally not uh, been preaching, taken a break from preaching, until today when Sarah invited me to preach while she's away. And during those two years, we have witnessed some of the most turbulent political and social times that I've ever seen in my lifetime. And thus, for two years, I've had no soapbox, I mean pulpit, <laughs> to stand in, to process the events of these times. And two years is a long time to be publicly silent for a preacher. So, I pause here for a moment to give you some time, if you've made some lunch reservations, <laughs> to cancel them. We could be here a while. Just kidding. <clears throat> Today is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. And traditionally, Lent is that season in the church where we are invited into the wilderness, our wilderness, with Jesus for some 40 days so we might replicate Jesus' acts of denial in his own wilderness experience. Traditionally in the church during Lent, we, we start in the wilderness with Jesus and we try to move toward resurrection. We, but we start in the wilderness with Jesus where Jesus is deprived for 40 days of food. He's tested and tried and we are to replicate in our lives those denials and, that Jesus went through in that wilderness experience. Our own testing time, so to speak. A time of individual prayer, repentance, when we fail to meet the Jesus test in our own wilderness. That's traditionally Lent starting in the wilderness. Well, I'd like to take a different road today in our understanding of the season of Lent and invite you with me down that road. Because I think in the season of Lent, where we are to replicate Jesus in the wilderness and ponder when we fail, is not a good starting point for us. You know, Jesus had a great PR person in the Bible writings. So therefore, we get this good glimpse of Jesus. And it's not that we can measure up to this Jesus we get in the gospel. So, to set Lent as our season, to be like Jesus, is to set ourselves up for failure. And thus, producing a lot of guilt and shame as a consequence. Lent as a season that produces guilt and shame is not a good theological place for us to be, I don't think. So, I invite you to give up guilt and shame for Lent. For it is so counter to the gospel that Jesus came to present to us so counter to the gospel. 
we are invited to be fully human, liberated individuals, social justice-loving spiritual beings, not guilt-ridden, shame-ridden people. So rather than shame and guilt, I invite us to think about Lent as a season of faith identity crisis. When I write a sermon, even though we don't publish titles of sermons here, it would take me sometimes as long to come up with a title for a sermon as to write it. So today's title, if I had to put one, would be Lent as Identity Crisis. It's a time of identifying and clarifying what God we follow. The wilderness text today we have is at the core about the identity of this God that Jesus will follow. For you know, the God we have really matters. As we respond to life as it comes at us, the God we have, the identity of the God that we carry within us, in our mind, in our being, matters as we respond to these life consequences as they come at us, as we respond to our neighbors, our enemies, viruses that are in among us, climate change, economics, any number of life situations, it matters. It matters deeply, the identity of the God that we have. Right? I told you I was out of practice, so... You might have recognized that today's text was in the news a few weeks ago. Do you remember that? Well, it was in the news because Donald Trump Jr. made a reference that said the likelihood of someone, and I won't mention who, praying for the president was as likely as Satan quoting scripture. Well, here it is in today's text. <laughs> Satan quoting scriptures to Jesus. So I interpret this wilderness story as this point of decision-making in Jesus' ministry, a story about the identity of the character of God that Jesus will implement in his life and ministry. In Matthew's Gospel from the beginning, the focus is on building the identity of this Jesus and God. To build that case from the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew starts with a long list of genealogical tongue-twisting people that identify who Jesus is, going back to Abraham and Sarah. And every preacher hopes they will not get that lectionary text to read out loud when it comes. But the first chapter is that genealogy because genealogy is about identity. And then we move from that to Herod's response to the birth of Jesus and Jesus becoming a refugee in Egypt. Another identity of who Jesus will be. A refugee. And then in the third chapter we get the, the baptism of Jesus through John the Baptist. 
And then in the fourth chapter, we get the wilderness experience. So from the beginning, this wilderness experience will talk about the character of Jesus' God. It was a it was a very important theological question at the time of who is this God that we worship. Because Rome had destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. And everyone was trying to figure out now that the temple is gone, who is God among us? Where is God? And Matthew's gospel is written in response to that. The primary normalcy of the day of an understanding of God was that God would come as a mighty warrior, a mighty savior, and right the wrongs of the Roman Empire. God would show up and battle on behalf of God's people and restore justice to the land. Apocalyptic vision was the normalcy of understanding of God. To restore the kingdom of God on earth. To defeat God's enemies, mainly Caesar. That was the normalcy of religious thinking about who God was. God would come to restore justice upon the earth and liberate the earth from the oppression of the empire. And it was the task of the people on earth, in the meantime, to get ready for that, to purify themselves, disengaging from the world, waiting for God to show up. That was the normalcy of understanding of who God was. That was John the Baptist's understanding of who God was. John went out to the wilderness, told everybody to repent and clean up their life, and God then would show up. But Matthew presents a very different understanding of the character of God in today's wilderness text, for example. John the Baptist's understanding of God was very different from Jesus's. John was, get clean, clean yourself up, repent, and then God would come. Jesus says, no, we are a part of the kingdom building. Our task is not to just clean ourselves up. Our task is to help clean up the world. Our redemption is participatory as John Dominic Crossan would say. Through our life, we are to redeem the world through the way we love, heal, and liberate others. So Jesus thought we transform the world toward the ways of God by loving others, not by wielding a power of a sword. It's a very different understanding of the character of God and the normalcy of the day. You see, it does matter how one thinks about God. When I was in Chicago, I was in a lectionary group in Chicago, every week we came together thinking about the scripture texts that were coming up. And every week when I left that group, I thought, they're going to disinvite me again. 
when I presented this idea that John the Baptist's idea of God and Jesus's was very different, I felt a pushback from the group, and I thought, well, this is my last day of the group. But I think they tolerated me for the next year or so because they knew I was retiring, so they just sort of tolerated me. But it matters who we see God as in our own spiritual journey, in our own way that we interact in our world. Matthew presents a God that is an alternative to a warrior God that comes riding in as a knight in shining armor on a horse. But that idea of who God is still lives among us, doesn't it? Apocalyptic God. But this text from Matthew presents God in a very different concept that Jesus is thinking. Through the temptations, we get a clear image. There are three temptations with one theme. You are not going to worship a God like that is an imperial God like Caesar. First temptation, you see Jesus says, I will not be a bread maker. In Jesus' day, bread, physical bread, was a big deal. It was one of the life-sustaining foods of the world. And Rome controlled the bread making because who controlled the bread making and the distribution in the world controlled the economics and controlled life. So Satan invites Jesus to be like Caesar, be the bread maker, control the dough. Jesus said, no, God does not work that way. The second temptation, be a hero, a super person, an otherworldly person, a non-human person, like Caesar claimed he was. Throw yourself down. You won't get hurt. Be a celebrity rather than a common human being. Be a superpower. Jesus said no. One has to live faithfully day in and day out as a human, like all humans, bound to the ways that this world operates. The church still often wants to make Jesus a superhuman, other than human person. Jesus refused that in this second temptation. The third, look at the power you could have, all the kingdoms of the world you can have. You could be a warrior savior, serve me, overthrow Caesar, and the kingdoms will be yours. No, Jesus says. That is not the way God works in the world. We build a kingdom of God through justice, building, compassion, and love. Again, John Dominic Crossan puts it this way. Jesus lived so that God's president is evident to all to observe through an earthly life of compassion and justice. The kingdom is built on goodness by doing justice, by loving deeply, 
and by lifting up the oppressed. The kingdom is built through a style of life that is lived day in and day out now. This understanding that flows out of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness is important to remember as we step into our 40 days of Lent that lies ahead. It's important how we identify the God that is among us. One Sunday afternoon, one of our trip many, bearing my many trips here to Asheville before we moved permanently, I saw in the Asheville airport Carter Hayward coming down the corridor. It's the first time I had seen her, even though I had read a lot of her books, and I was, uh, she was like a celebrity to me, so I, I rushed up to her and said, Carter Hayward, before I even thought about what I was doing. She was surprised and said, yes. <laughs> then I sort of, my brain caught up with me and I said, you don't know me from Adam, but I'm John Hobbs, pastor in Chicago. And your writings saved me from leaving Christianity. And she responds, really? I said, yes. Carter lives in Brevard. Some of you may know her well. I know some of you know her well. But let me tell you, as I close, how she saved me. She says in her book, Saving Jesus from Those Who Are Right, it's a great book, Socially and politically, spiritually and morally, our life's work is to be healers and liberators of and with one another. It is an ongoing life project, ongoing, one that is never fully accomplished. Jesus of Nazareth was such a person, a healing and liberating human whose life the Spirit revealed. Domination and control was rejected by Jesus, as demonstrated, I would say, in today's text. The hoarding of authority as power over others is always, always spiritually problematic. Carter goes on to say, putting yourselves under the authority of a deity we have created in the image of kings and lords, we turn our back on Jesus. We miss the point of his life, of who he was. So Lent, give up guilt and shame. But during Lent, may we ponder deeply what it means to be followers of Jesus, followers of an alternative warrior-type God, where faith is a revolutionary spiritual struggle toward justice and personal transformation of power, as power is defined by the world. So, Lent, friends as identity crisis.
Amen.